0: And look at the Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 16. And we go back a couple of chapters here in our study of Matthew, a, a section of the uh, a verses that we skipped before. We're coming back to it today. And this is the very first mention, by the way, of the church in the New Testament. But the entire story of the Bible is really one of God building a family, setting aside for himself a family who loves him, honors him, worships him and will live with him forever. In the latter times, that's the church. I know that the church has kind of fallen on hard times again. I think it happened in the 60s and before the big revival hit in the 70s. But then um, we're seeing it again. Less and less people, it seems like, in America are attending church on a regular basis, and we're having all kinds of criticism of the church. But the good news is, worldwide, the church is actually going up. There are 2 billion people now claiming the name of Christ all throughout the world. Because of the missions like America has done in other countries as well, we find revival and a spiritual outpouring of God's spirit, if you want to put it that way, all throughout different parts of the world. But we're, we want to talk about us this morning because we want that kind of outpouring here, no, do we not? We want that in Oviedo, we want that in the Orlando area, we want that in our church as well. And so, as we look at Matthew chapter 16, again, first time it's ever been mentioned as far as a church. Now, I, I see on social media, I saw it again this week, I see it every week, somebody reposts the same thing, it must have been done a million times across America, and that is God has not called us to go to church, but to be the church. Now, I know it sounds kind of self-serving by me saying this, but hear me out. You know, the, there's no way that you can be the church without going to church, really. Because it's like saying, well, I want to be a brain surgeon, but I really, well, what's your criteria? Well, no, i would never been to college for it, but I believe I can do it. You know, I want to be an engineer and I want to build all kinds of civil stuff underground and I want to build big and design big buildings. Well, how do you, how do you prepare for that? Well, you go to school. You get a degree in that. You get trained in that. You get mentored in that. So how do you be the church? How do you be that attractional person that's going to cause people to come to want to know Christ and come maybe to a church like this? How can you become that attractional Christian? Well, you go to a church like this one that preaches, teaches the Bible. Uh, you get saved, as many of us have come to know Christ in a church, some not, some outside the church. But then you grow. You grow. You begin to go to classes. You begin to go to services like this. You get things from the Bible. You grow and grow. You become more like Jesus Christ. Then you have the tools that you need to go out, go out into the world and be the church. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about one of those tools. We're going to start a series of messages on uh, conflicted by grace because grace is one of the main ingredients not only of salvation but also the Christian life. But how do you understand that? How do you apply that in our life? Uh, You know, what are the different situations? That means the law is nullified. Does it mean you can do whatever you want to do? Does it mean that somebody's going to be forgiven, for example, on their deathbed and go to heaven while another person has lived their whole life for Jesus? What does that all that mean? That's beginning next week. But this morning, I want to talk about your life, our life together as a church, where we are, where we're going and then, who's gonna be leading as well as we ordain the deacons? And so, as we look at this, I asked the question to myself a few years ago, so I was challenged to what if, what if Cross Life Church ceased to exist? Would the community even miss us? Well, I hope most of you would say yes but what have we done? What have we actually done in ministry in the last year? Now, some people are going to say, well, Pastor, you're just sort of bragging. Well, I'm bragging, okay? I'm about to brag, all right? But I'm going to brag on Jesus. Now, I know that some of you were involved in all these things that we're talking about. I was involved in some of them as well. But we have learned, if we've learned nothing else during the last 10, 15 years, that only God can give the increase, right? Right. 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 What has happened? Well, we we collected over $77,000 to put cameras in schools. And you can understand, again, shootings have gone on this week. And they weren't in schools, but we've got to protect our young people in our schools. They're going to go in Ovita High School. I understand they're not there yet because of some kind of computer glitch. The other schools as well, and the other two two middle schools and other high school as well, in order to protect our children. We pulled a golf tournament together. The whole community was involved. All of the Other churches were involved. We pulled it together, and that money was raised for that purpose. Global Impact Conference, our missions conference that happened last fall. We had 13 people call to full-time Christian service. All right. Just want to know if you're out there. Just pretend I, I'm having trouble seeing this morning, and I got to hear from you to let, you know, let me know you're here. Then we have mission trips. Oh, by the way. We've had 120 people called not only to, the, to a full-time Christian service, more than that, but 120 people plus are involved in Christian service somewhere in the world coming out of our church. Isn't that wonderful? Then, thank you, praise God, mission trips to Brazil, Costa Rica, Wales, India, and Cuba just this past year, along with some American cities like Lakeland, Miami, Houston, and New York City. Hundreds of people were saved during these times. We've had 126 baptisms in our church in the last year. Oh, almost $400,000 given outside this church into mission and benevolence uh, types of ministries that, that circle not only in our community, but all, also all throughout the world. $400,000. <clears> then the extravaganza. Why would I mention an Easter egg hunt? Well, I can tell you why. We had over 2,500 people on our campus to hunt Easter eggs, and the significant part to that was not only did young people come to know Christ during that time, but then the next day, partially because of extravaganza, we had the largest not only Easter service but the largest service we've ever had at Cross Life Church. God had moved in that area. We've built a church in Haiti now through through our mission giving. We built a church in Haiti that is not only going strong now, but also has had people saved and over hundred kids involved in Compassion International getting at least two meals a week free, plus good meals, plus a teaching of the Word of God at least twice a week in that area that have never really heard much about the gospel before. We're seeing our East Campus flourish like it's never been before under Brother Doug during this last year. Then, we have a mission church in North Carolina that is up to 300 people. Now, 20 people of our church, a staff member and 20 people of our church, went out, started that church in North Carolina a couple of years ago They have over 300 people coming, and they've baptized 72 people since January 1. That is a wow. And so what's next? God's been doing all this stuff, and that, that gives credibility to what God wants to do with us in the future. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was meeting the disciples and he's on the road to the cross. He's preparing, trying to prepare his disciples for his departure and to pass the baton of ministry onto them. And in doing so, we see this great confession in these verses. Verse 13. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, still in Galilee, he asked his disciples, Who do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, he's calling himself by the Son of Man instead of the Son of God. It was an Old Testament uh, name for Messiah, the Messiah, the, the anointed one of Israel, and instead of Son of God, because to say, I'm the Son of God, would have caused a lot of riots, and he was not ready to go to the cross. God was not ready for him to do that. And so he called himself truthfully by a name many, many times, but not the Son of God. And we're going to find out in this passage that that's what I just said is true verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist. That was the forerunner of Christ, the cousin of Jesus that came a few years before Jesus came on to the scene. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. But he said, but who do you say that I am? And this word you is plural. Who do you disciples? You've been following me for these three years plus. So who do you say that I am? Simon peter as he often spoke up for the group said you are the christ the son of the living god now the question of the age who is jesus christ that sets the tone for everything in the bible everything about any religion in the world because if jesus is the son of god it really trumps anything else that man thinks And he says, you are the Christ, the anointed one. Same word in the Greek, Christ is Messiah, is for the Old Testament. So you are the king of the Jews. That's what he's saying. You are the one we've been waiting for. But not only that, but a new concept to the disciples altogether. He says, you are the living son of God. That was blasphemous in Jewish culture. There was only one God. There was not a trinity. There was was one God, only God. And anyone who claimed to be the Son of God was claiming to be in the same essence of God. No way that's possible. This is blasphemy. But here's what Jesus said. He said, and Jesus answered, blessed, blessed are you. You found favor with God, Simon Barjonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. It wasn't time. And so as we look at this passage, we look at and say, hey, if we're going to be the church we've got to know something. We've got to know who you are. You've got to know why you are here. you got to know where you're going. you got to know how to get there. First of all, know who you are. He said in verse 13, I will build my church. First time again, it's mentioned in the, in the, in the Bible. And this word means a called out once. sent. You're called out of the world. That's what it means. Now the world's going, the culture's going one way. You're called out of that world to be something special and precious to God. And then you're sent back into the world in order to change that world around them and and cause for worshipers to come to Christ. We see here a need for the church. Jesus is about to go away. He's not going to be around anymore. So what are we going to do? We're going to establish a church. And the church in this time was called the body of Christ. Why is it called the body of Christ in different places in the Bible? Because we are Jesus' hands and feet. We're called the bride because we're precious to him in so many ways. We are built for relationships. In fact, everywhere in the Bible you turn, it seems like God was blessing a group, especially in the New Testament. You will find the 120 on the day of Pentecost were up in the upper room praying. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God came and descended upon them and actually entered into their hearts and, and souls for the very first time. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was just kind of around you on certain, certain people like kings and prophets. But this is the very first time this has happened. How did it happen? It happened in a group. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. I shared with you last week when we were talking about marriage, one of the reasons a beautiful thing about marriage is two people get together and they suddenly realize their own weaknesses, even if the spouse is not trying to change them, even if they're not trying to, to, to do anything to alter the situation, you just automatically know. You know, Just like having a, maybe a roommate at college, a lot of things are revealed to you, but you're not motivated to change. But suddenly now in marriage you are. Relationships. So important to become more like Jesus Christ. I was reading an article this past week about a young girl talking about, and she's a writer, and she was writing for a different reason, but she was writing about being a Christian. Remember being a young Christian in high school at Willow Creek Church uh, near Chicago. And she said, you know, their youth group, and she mentioned about seven or eight of them, all hung out together all the time. And they were, as she put it, We used to call ourselves on fire for God, as though her readers probably would not know really what that was talking about. We said we were all together, we were worshiping together, studying the Bible together, meeting together. And there was this one particular couple that were really extra on fire, extra passionate for God. They were going to be mission, plan to get married one day, be missionaries. Uh, the young girl's name was Laurie. She didn't say anything about, uh, I don't think, the, 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 the boy's name. But they weren't even dating. You know, it was back then, you know, well, dating, you know, we, we stopped dating. You know, we're investing in people's, in one another's life. That's how they put it. And so uh, they all graduated from high school. They all went scattered. The young, the young, young girl that was talking uh, in the, or writing the article, moved off to the University of Southern Cal, way, a long way away from Chicago, other friends to New England. Eventually, the one boy would become a missionary, but he'd marry somebody else. The, he broke up, or they broke up. Uh, this boy and girl broke up. And Lori, as she called her, they all, well, they all came back together in Chicago at the age of 20, two years later, for Lori's funeral. Lori, for whatever reason, had committed suicide. She didn't mention Why? And she goes on and says, you know, these young people in New England, they were doing something different, and some of them were going to church, some of them were not going to church, and she went kind of down the line. Herself, at the age of 35, not on fire anymore, going to church, but just kind of, you know, not necessarily a, 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 maybe a Bible-believing church. I couldn't tell. But here's the moral to the story that I found in this story. As long as this group was together, they fed off one another's passion But when they began to go other places, they didn't realize how important the group was. So they'd go to other places, and even if they were sincerely trying to follow the Lord, they weren't sincerely looking for that next group of passionate believers that they could be a part of. And because of that, they began to fall away. The passion began to die. You you know the story about the the pastor was talking to this guy about uh, going to church. They were sitting in front of a fireplace. And the man says, well, I just don't believe in going to church. I don't have to go to church. I I can do it on my own. And so finally, the pastor took the the tongs and uh, reached in and, and grabbed one of the logs and put it forward and put it on the mantle. Now, the rest of the fire was blazing, but both of them watched in silence as this one log died out and became cold. And immediately, the man who owned the house knew exactly what the pastor was getting at. When you take that log out of the fire, it's just going to get cold. When you take the Christian out of the group, out of relationship, it's going to get cold. We need one another. Now, Jesus said this. There's only one way to get into this group, to get into this fellowship. And we see it in these verses, in verse 16. And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The key question, who is Jesus? The plural question, the rest of the group. And they said, well, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You are the son of God. This is who you are. That confession, what Peter was saying is, Jesus, you're not only worthy to be followed, but you're worthy to be worshiped. How do you get into this kingdom? How do you get into this fellowship? The church, you get it by confession. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, Because... If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness or is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The confession. The open confession of the belief of the heart that Jesus indeed is the Son of God and has died on the cross for your sins and you receive that truth and receive Christ into your life. Now notice it says... He said to Simon Peter, he says, Flesh and blood, verse 17, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He didn't learn that from anybody else around him. God revealed that to him, that truth. How does a person come to know Christ? You respond to the calling of God. John six forty four. Jesus said, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The confession comes from a realization, a defining moment in your life. When you realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, not the Jesus maybe you've made up in your mind, because all of us, given to our own thoughts, can come up with all kinds of Jesuses in the Bible. Some people, a few people, a wrathful Jesus, a judgmental Jesus, but most of the time, a very loving Jesus, very loving You you want to skip the passages when he calls people to accountability, when he calls people to confess and maybe repent of sin. We skip all that. Just get down to the love of Jesus. The problem is that is this. The only way, the only way, the only way that I would ever know that Jesus is a loving God is that this Bible tells me so. And you say, well, I just feel that. Yeah, but there's no objective truth to that. Every other religion in the world God, their God is really kind of a little bit on the wrathful side. Or maybe like the Greek gods, kind of human. They're kind of human gods. But nowhere in antiquity do you find any scriptures that would point to a loving God, so loving that he would be willing to give himself and die on the cross for mankind, for you. And so therefore, if you're going to believe that out of the Bible, then what about the rest of the Bible? Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. Well, we look at this real Jesus. It's a defining moment in Peter's life. He said, oh my goodness, you are the Son of God. And he says, Simon Berjona, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And upon this rock, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, man, this, this is pretty tough because gates are a defensive weapon. And he says, the gates of hell, we're going to charge through the gates of hell. We're going to charge through. The gates of hell will not stop us from doing the mission of God. And so we look at this and we understand there's a foundation to it all. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. What's he talking about? You have a lot of different interpretations of this. And it is true that when he says, your name shall be called Peter. Peter means Petra, a rock, small rock. And he was talking in the Greek about a big rock, which was probably him. And people get this interpretation because of the rest of the Bible. God is called the rock. Jesus is called the rock more than probably anything else that I can find. It says in 1 Corinthians ten four, just one of hundreds of verses. And all the drank, the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Talking about the people of the Old Testament. And the rock was Christ. Even in the Old Testament, the rock was was Christ. Yet, here's what we read about in another verse. So let's balance this all together. Ephesians 2.20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. So there, it seems like there's a double, triple meaning here. On the one hand, is the confession the foundation of the church? Well, yes, in a sense, because you can't get in without that confession. Are the disciples the foundation? It says here, in Ephesians two twenty, that they are but Jesus is the chief rock the chief cornerstone where it all began and I'm not going to you know talk about the cornerstone versus the rest of the rock it's very confusing unless you're an engineer and we about half of you I think are engineers but um, unless you're an engineer you maybe don't get that so let me share a, a more confusing illustration because um, how many of you are not from Florida you're not originally, you've lived somewhere else besides Florida. Well, my wife and I have lived in Texas, but mainly in Georgia. We were raised in Georgia, and in Georgia, you had very, maybe things have changed now, but you had very few slabs that you put down for a house, for a foundation. What you had, I mean, you know, think about it. You know, you're, you're putting your pipes down in the ground, and then you're putting a slab. I wonder if, wonder if something leaked, you know, so it didn't make sense to me. We, we used to build houses with a crawl space. you know Anybody here know what I'm talking about? A crawl space, okay? And um, what you would do, and I've done this before, and one of the reasons why I don't want to ever build another house again is because myself, because of what my dad made me do in digging foundations with a pick and a shovel. And so what you do, you you dig a trench, like a trench, all the way around the frame of the house. And then you go, uh, by the architect's design, you go in and you dig holes, big holes, uh, in the middle of the house to, to, uh, to shore up the house in the middle. And so you're digging these holes. Then you come along with the concrete, and you pour it in all over the, the building and also in these holes in the middle. That's your foundation. It's not a whole slab, but that is where it all begins. That's where it goes down deep. But yet, then you come across, you come, come along with concrete block. And if you want to make your house decorative, keep most of the snakes out, you put the, this, this underpinning of, of concrete block all the way around the outside of the house with a door so you can have a crawl space. That's where all the plumbing is up underneath your house. But there's something in there. You say, well, man, if that happened, it'd just all sink in the middle. Yeah, you're right. It would collapse. As soon as a guy my size walked on the floor, he'd, he'd go down, you know, so... What do you do? You you build it up in the middle. You have these concrete slabs, little small things in the middle, and you put concrete block on top of them to hold up the house. And then when you pour that concrete, by the way, there's three ingredients to that. You've got the cement, you've got the sand, you've got the water. You kind of got different things going into this thing. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's like like that that pouring of the the deep foundation of, of underneath the house. But then the pillars of the house are the disciples because they helped Jesus get the church started. For example, my son did go up to North Carolina and start a church, but we sent 20 people with him. Now, you can say, well, he's done a great job, but what about the 20 people that are with him? He couldn't have done it without them. They were the founders of the church. They were the pillars of the assembly, you might say. And so you have, really, Jesus talking about something double here. Yes, the interpretation of Jesus is the rock, but also these disciples are other rocks as well. And so you find this foundation, the cornerstone, the chief thing being Jesus Christ himself. Well, I know I've taken a long time with that first point. Whew. And I know you're, I'm breathing for you. But the next three points are going to be very, very quick. Know why you are here notice he says, I'm going to build my church. He's got a mission involved. When we're talking about a mission, we're talking about something different, a mission and a vision. I think a mission, and I'm going back to old definitions, but a mission is something you do every day, while a vision is something that you hope to become in the future. And so we have have a mission statement here, a new one, and we have a vision statement as well. That's pointing back to something we used to have. Now, Jesus said, go, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so whatever his mission was ought to be our mission as well. And so our mission statement in our church, building lives that matter. After all, everybody wants a life that matters. Building lives that matter by by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. And we can break that down into grades and stages of life. Our preschoolers, we want to teach them to love Jesus. We want to teach them when they come out of the the five-year-old class, the kindergarten class, they're going to know that Jesus Christ loves them and they have every reason to love Jesus. Did you know one of the reasons why, the main reason I was spurred to go through the book of Matthew was that we can study the life of Jesus Christ so, we can understand how much He loves us, so we can love Him more. The reason why we're having the, had the Lord's Supper more often, especially when we started this message, is to draw you to God, to draw you closer to Him, to teach Him how much He loved, to be reminded of Him dying on the cross for you every week. Every week, so you could love, would love Him, hopefully, more. But you notice here our mission to love well, elementary school, to know Jesus. Not only to love Jesus, you've got to go back and teach that as well and constantly teach that, but we want all of our elementary school students to graduate from elementary school knowing Jesus Christ. Not only knowing the stories of Jesus, knowing what He's about, but knowing Him as their personal Savior and Lord. Our young people, our teenagers, we want them to learn to trust Jesus. All kinds of changes happening with their body. So many are being accepted. So many feel rejected. So many people have temptations, in young people, with temptations like we've never, I never had to face in my life. Not like that. All kinds of different philosophies coming in from the teaching. All kinds of books that they're reading on the side. All kinds of temptations. Our goal is to tr- teach them they can trust Jesus. They're better off trusting God than going their own way. And then... When they graduate, at 18, they're ready to follow Jesus. And yes, we teach our adults to love Jesus. I mean, people coming in at all kinds of stages of life. As you understand, one of our deacons or uh, got saved here at this church. He didn't get saved as a child. We have people coming in at all stages, so we teach them to love, know, trust. But the adults, the emphasis has to be we need to follow Jesus. Now that we can trust him, we can follow that's our mission. Are you on board with that? Don't you think that's a good idea? Don't you, don't you like it? Don't you want to know that in the stage of life how to follow it? Don't you want your preschooler to come out loving Jesus? Your elementary school student coming out knowing Jesus? Your teenager coming out saying, you know, I can place my faith in Jesus Christ even if I have to stand alone to do it. And the adults, with all the temptations you have, with all the distractions, can I say that that way? I'm not saying your career is a distraction. But in a way, it becomes a distraction with your walk with God. Sometimes your your family life can be a distraction with your walk with God instead of spurring you on to do do better things. With all the things you have, with all the stresses, when your family, your your parents get older, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to keep on following Jesus? Well, that's our mission. But what about the vision? Well, you not only know where you are, but where you're going He says, I will build my church. And really, he's talking something here about the future. He even goes on to say that, look, the disciples are going to have something very precious. It's not applying to everybody here. but He says, I'm going to give you the keys, keys to the kingdom of heaven. And evangelistically, this is what it's talking about first. And so we have the keys as well. The key is is the the precious blood of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every time we share with someone and they receive Christ, they are loosed. But here is talking about specifically with the disciples also things like writing scripture. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? He said, "When I leave you, I'm, I'm going to bless you in the sense I'm going to recall to your memory the things that you've learned." And they wrote the scripture, foundational principles, founders of the church. But Jesus said, "Look, here's the vision," Matthew 24. We'll get to this in several weeks from now. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end shall come. Well, what's the goal? The gospel will be presented to everyone on the face of the earth. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. They just cast off for strength. They just don't care anymore. They get bored. You know, they just, if, you're, if you're not challenged... And what you're doing in the church, you're going to get bored. If you're not challenged in your Christian life by those around you and with those things that you're learning, you're going to become bored. You just cast it off. But a vision is a picture of where God wants to take you. Our vision to share the gospel of Jesus wherever we live, work, play, and go. That one day the sun will not set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. What we're saying here. Share your life, what's happened in your life. Live the Christian life out in front of them. Be that attraction to the rest of the world. Wow, I, I want to go to that church. Or I want to I, I know the Savior like they know him because, my goodness, they're, they're handling life differently. I want to be like them. That's the attractional ministry. When you go out in the world because you've been sent there because of what you've learned here, you go out there and live a different type of life and you just draw people in. Wherever you work, or rather live, in your neighborhood, wherever you work, they see a difference. Wherever you play, wherever you go on a mission trip, wherever we send the money for a mission trip, that the sun one day will not set on the ministry of this church. Now, we used to say that, and then we fulfill that, as the sun never set on the ministry of this church. But minist- missionaries come home. Uh, they retire. They retire. They go other places, and now we can't say that anymore. And so that's our goal. Plant churches, send people, maybe somebody like you, all throughout the world until one day we say, the sun never sets on the ministry of this church. Listen, that's, that's the goal of Jesus. We've got to, a, we got to a, a, be attractive and attack and embrace the vision that Jesus Christ has and ask the, ourselves the question, how do we fit into that vision? And that becomes our vision. Take the gospel wherever you live, work, play, go. That one day we can say, ministry never sits here, or the sun never sets on the ministry of this church. Finally, this morning, as I close, very quickly, how do you get there? Well, you you surrender to Christ as your Lord and Savior yourself. And at the end of this message, in just about a minute or two, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But then the second thing is, you've got to have someone to lead. I mean, without leaders back in the... Without these disciples leading the way, nothing happens. Without leaders in the church, nothing happens. God has set aside two groups of leaders. Now, there's other leaders in the church, but these are the ones that he set aside for a special office in the church. Pastor and deacon. The word deacon, a diakonos, one who kicks up the dust, anxious to serve. And every small group... Every small group in our church has a deacon in it, and they're to be the catalyst for ministry in that church. They're people I go to for advice myself, for counsel, men of wisdom. In fact, Acts 6 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who you will appoint to this duty that the pastors or missionaries or evangelists can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Deacons to serve. Deacons to make sure needs within the body are taken care of. But also deacons to model the way. I've said this before. I ought to be able to stand out right here at the service, at the end of the service in front of the hospitality center. And if somebody comes by to me and say, Pastor, i really like to grow in the Lord. I really would. But how do I do that? Who do I follow? I can't follow you around. Where are you? Too many people here. I can't do that. Who do I follow? And I ought to be able to look out. The, the foyer or the atrium. Oh, there's a guy right there. He's a deacon. Just go meet him. Follow him around. He models the way. Got to have somebody to model it. You've got to have some. You've got to have those apostles, those pillars, or else you can say all oh, I can say all I want, we want to. This is our mission. This is our mission. This is our, vision, this is our vision. This is our vision. But let's. For example, the staff's not on board. Man, that's that's bad. But even the deacons, yes, they're on board to say. There's who you follow. That's who you model. That's who I can trust to go to, or we can trust. Any staff member trust to go to for advice because we're on the same page of mission and vision for Jesus Christ. Why, it's so important as we ordain these deacons this morning. Before we do, I'd like for our heads to be bowed and eyes closed. And if the prayer of your heart is saying, hey, I want to be a part of that, Maybe I don't want to be a part of the things that I thought was a church, but I really would like to be a part of that. I'd like to be walking with Jesus. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. In order to enter that kingdom, in order to enter that church of Christ, I need to receive Christ. So if that's the prayer of your heart right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of all my sin. Help me to become the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at Cross Life Church dot com.